0: The words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us our God. Amen. With what can we compare the kingdom of God? What parable will we use for it? If you ever thought you knew something, that it was pretty self-evident, and then somebody asked you a question about it, and you thought, Why are they asking that question? And then the answer they gave wasn't quite what you were expecting. Kind of like somebody asking you, what is 2 plus 2? And you're thinking, well, for him, obviously. And then they show you that actually it's not for. That might be a bad example, but I'm sure there have been times in your lives... Well, I'm sure a mathematician could show that it's not for. I'm sure there have been times in your lives when you were pretty sure you knew something and then it turned out... You didn't. Today's question that Jesus is asking is a really interesting question. And we pay so little attention to it. In fact, when I was reading the commentaries, no one commented on the fact that he even asked the question about what is the kingdom of God. But it's a really interesting question. Because I suspect that for those he was talking to, the answer to what is the kingdom of God was really obvious. They knew what the kingdom of God was. The kingdom of God for them was about the restoration of the kingdom of David. That's what they longed for. That's what they looked for. The best of times. We can hear it in the song of Zechariah. Which was proclaimed by Zechariah when he saw Jesus. Blessed, actually, it was um, John's father, Zechariah, proclaiming it over his son. Blessed to you, O God of Israel, you have come to your people and set them free. You have raised up for us a mighty Saviour, born of the house of your servant David. Through your holy prophets, you have promised of old that you would save us from our enemies, from the hands of all who hate us. You promised to show mercy to our forebears and to remember your holy covenant. This was the oath you swore to Sarah and Abraham to set us free from the hands of our enemies, free to worship you without fear, holy and righteous before you all the days of our life. This is the kingdom of God. This is what everyone is longing for. For the hearers then, the kingdom of God, is when all can live in the presence of the living God under the law of Moses. So when Jesus says, what parable can we tell to describe the kingdom of God? They're thinking, what on earth are you talking about? We know what the kingdom of God is. You don't have to tell us about that. This is something we get. For them, the kingdom of God is all about the end of Roman rule. It is all about the end of the corruption of the high priests in the temple and all the temple leadership. It's about the end of Herod and all the other Roman sycophants, including all the Jerusalem elite. It's about an end to harsh, harsh taxation that led so many families to lose their land and led to mass impoverishment and the enrichment of the few in Jerusalem. And on the flip side, It included the restoration of the land back to the families that had traditionally owned it, a restoration of the true temple leadership and the true temple worship rather than the sham that was going on in the time of Jesus, a restoration to the Lion of David, and a restoration of a time when all had more than enough to thrive on. This was the kingdom of God. This is what they longed for. This is what they looked for. And this is what they would fight for and die for in a few years' time. So for Jesus to ask, what is the kingdom of God, just seems like a dumb question. They get it. Except... His is a little weird. We'll get to that. When you ask about the kingdom of God then in this situation well that's dangerous talk. The kingdom of God is a highly political it's hugely political and has huge social economic and political ramifications. It's interesting that Jesus even asked the question because it's a dangerous question. On the face of it then Jesus offers an answer which really bears no resemblance to what they thought the answer was. They thought 2 plus 2 equals 4. And Jesus said, maybe not. Maybe 2 plus 2 equals something else. So why does Jesus give the answer he gives Well, one of the things you can say about Jesus is that he is constantly trying to shake people up, free of their assumptions about God, free of their assumptions about what it means to be the people of God, and he is constantly inviting them to something bigger. You think this nice little tidy box? I invite you to get rid of that box and to think so much bigger. It's what he does all the time. And it's interesting how we then take his teaching and we build a nice new box and we say, this is what Jesus thought, this nice little neat box. And that's exactly what is going on here. Jesus doesn't describe the things that I just listed. Instead, he tells two parables, both of which are well known today and, if we were honest, both of which are, well, simply confusing. And on the face of it, not very helpful. First, we have a farmer who sows some seeds, and then he goes away and sleeps and does other things, and then he comes back and there is a harvest. Sure, the farmer sows and reaps, but the rest of it is not up to the farmer. It happens all by itself. And then he uses a mustard seed. Now, mustard seeds are well known for their health properties. And they're used in a lot of cooking. And they're sown. If you have fields, you can sow mustard seeds during the winter to help re-nutrientize the soil. <laughs> like that would? <root. laughs> I think I made it up. <laughs> and it's a small seed that grows into a small shrub. Not even the greatest of shrubs, really. And at least Mark is honest enough not to get into the exaggeration of Matthew, who then goes on to describe it, the greatest of trees. It is just a shrub. Let's not get carried away. And it's also a bit of a weed. Once you plant mustard seeds, you will never get rid of mustard. It's there forever. You can try your little best to get rid of it, but it just keeps sprouting up again. And worse, it'll grow in places you never wanted it. Because the seeds are small, and they blow all over the place. So once you have mustard, you've got it forever. The kingdom of God is like a pesky weed that grows in places where you don't want it. That's an interesting image, isn't it? So what does any of this have to say about their ideas about the kingdom of God? well, it's a lot less describable than they thought. And it's not just about them and what they do. For many, the kingdom of God would appear when they, the people of God, were worthy for the kingdom to appear. And so there were all sorts of groups who had gone off into the desert to be the righteous people so that the kingdom would come. That's exactly what the Essenes were about. They had gone off into the deserts and they were the people of God, and when they lived the proper life, the kingdom of God would appear. It was all about what they did. But Jesus says, well, you've got a role. Sure, you sow and reap. But actually, well, most of it was growing while they were asleep. And the kingdom of God, well, they're not in control, and they can't define it. Mustard seeds have bad reputations for growing and germinating in all kinds of places that people didn't want them. And the kingdom of God is happening all around them. Seeds germinate all around us, all the time. And finally, and probably most importantly, the fruits are the important part of the kingdom of God, rather than the structure They were looking for a restoration of the Lion of David. They were looking for a restoration of the true temple leadership. They were looking for a restoration of the true temple worship. It was all about the structures of the kingdom that would then allow the fruits of the kingdom to appear. And what were the fruits of the kingdom? A community of justice and peace where the land was restored to all the people and where all could live and thrive. And Jesus says the harvest is the key part, not the structure. So in terms of what they hoped for, which was an end to Rome and their oppressive taxes, an end to the corruption of the temple, and a restoration of the true leadership and the good times, Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God is much less about those things And much more about a community of justice and peace that has lived in the generosity and the compassion of God. The kingdom of God is now when we do these things and when they are done to us. With what can we compare the kingdom of God? And what parable will we use for it? wonder how we react to that question, and how do we answer that question? When I was an enthusiastic new ordinance, deacon and priest, I was right into church growth stuff. I did some when I was at theological college, and when I was a curate, I went off to a three-day seminar with the church growth guru, Dr. Eddie Gibbs, and I read several of the books, and then I preached a series of sermons at the parish where I was the curate. And I was going to change the church using church growth principles because I thought they were the bee's knees. And I'm still grateful that I, for all the church growth offered me because, well, I learned a lot that still shapes me today. But it's interesting how much I've changed because to answer that question with what would I compare the kingdom of God, I wouldn't have compared it with anything. I would have just said, the kingdom of God is the church. It's not like anything. I don't have to tell a parable. It is the church. And the whole point of church growth principles is, the kingdom of God is the church. Our job is to sow the seeds, and then we have to water them and nurture them in people's lives. So you have to pay attention to how you do that, and you've got to have the right structures and programs to do that. And so you pay a lot of attention, getting your structures right and your programs right. And then eventually people will be ready for harvest, which means they come and join the church. And then you have to have structures and programs in place so that they join the church. And then they in turn will join those structures and programs that sow the seeds out in the community. It was all about the programs and the structures so that we could grow the church. That's what it's about. It's in the name, Church Growth. Church Growth. That was the point of it all. And in some ways there's nothing wrong with that, but in some ways everything is wrong with that. My understanding was about the kingdom of God. My understanding of the kingdom of God was just as fixed, just as defined, just as tied up in a nice neat little box as those hearers of Jesus' time. We had different understandings about what the kingdom of God was. But they were just as neat and tidy. And just as much in need of hearing Jesus' parable as those first hearers. Interestingly, we use some of those parables to uh, kind of undergird what we were on about. In fact, whenever we have a fixed understanding, whenever we can clearly define what the kingdom of God is about, whenever we can clearly define what it is to be the people of God then I think we need these parables, these parables which are so difficult to understand, which is the point. They're difficult to understand. They're not easy to understand because Jesus was saying, this stuff is difficult to understand. Stop being so clear-cut about it. These parables should make us a lot less sure of ourselves. And today the two parables should say to us, Well, the Kingdom of God is a lot less describable than we think. And unlike everything that I was taught at Church Growth, it's not about us and about what we do. We have a role, sure, but the Kingdom of God grows even while we sleep. Even when we're not paying attention, even when we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing, the Kingdom of God is still growing. And we are not in control. We thought we were in control and that's why we had to put all these programs into place. But we're not in control because mustard seeds have really bad reputations of growing where people don't want them. The kingdom of God is not ours to define. And it is happening all around us just as seeds are germinating all around us. And finally, the most important part of the Kingdom of God isn't the structures, isn't the programs and the cool things that we as church can set up, but it's the fruits. And what are the fruits? They are no different from what they were 2,000 years ago. The fruits of the Kingdom of God are communities of peace and justice that are lived in and marked by the generosity and compassion of God. The kingdom of God is now, when we do these things, and when they are done to us. So, with what can you compare the kingdom of God? And what parable will you use to describe it? I invite you to think about that for a moment, and if you're really bold and brave, you can even turn to your neighbour and talk to them about it but only if you feel like really bold and brave.